0: Stranger Things Part 2, I want you to listen to the title, Love the Truth and Grow Up. Mm. Right away, you know, this is going to be a problem for some of you right here. All right. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Last week, we talked about what do Christians do? That's the, the, the theme of this series is what do Christians do? Ephesians chapter 4 through Ephesians chapter 6. This is what we do And last week we talked about it, that we fight for the family. We never walk alone. We do life together. And then I told you that there's a qualifier there. You're never gonna have family. You're not gonna have healthy relationships if you don't surrender your rights and your wants. And we're living in a culture that is very allergic to self-denial. Allergic, and, and they avoid the idea of putting aside what I want for the sake of community. And if you want community, you have to surrender what you want. That was last week. This week, we're gonna shift gears. We're gonna go into how do we, how do we grow as Christians? I, I, I bet that there's not a single person in here that's a Christian that loves Christ that doesn't wanna get stronger by the end of this year. I bet there's somebody, you, you got something going on, you wanna conquer some area of, 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 of addiction in your life, some some air, an, an attitude, an emotion. Maybe you got a difficult relationship, you got a, you got a person that you're struggling with, or maybe you just, you just wanna enter into a season where you start to flourish in the things of God. Can I tell you that God wants you to grow stronger? He, he says this in Psalm 92, that those who are planted in the house of the Lord will flourish in the courts of our God, and they will produce fruit into old age. See, in the the gospel, in the power of Jesus, old age does not have to be low energy. Old age can be your greatest season. Yeah, I'm 45, I'm saying that a little bit stronger than I ever have before. As you grow older in Christ, you can get stronger in Christ. I think about our pastor up in Norwood, pastor, guys, a stronger, life-giving, powerful man. Every time I tell people how old he is, they're like, 75, are you nuts? He's adding tattoos every single week. (laughs) Every time he preaches, it seems like he's stronger than ever. I mean, that's called the power of the Holy Spirit in someone's life, and God wants that for you. We don't go down, we go up, amen. And in Christ Jesus, the best is yet to come. So I wanna teach you how to grow strong today in Christ Jesus. Stand with me at all of our locations, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Picking up from where we left off, Have you got your Bibles, you got your Bibles? I hope you got your Bibles, that's that's number one. You gotta bring your Bible to church. If you're here for the first time, don't worry about it. Just buy yourself a Bible out in our lobbies, or uh, at least here in Woonsocket, I'm not sure, anywhere else, or get yourself one at a Christian bookstore. Get yourself a nice thick Bible. Thicker the Bible, more godly the saint. Amen. (laughs) Okay, verse 11. See, this is my old age here, too. I need bifocals now. This is getting depressing. Okay, verse 11. And he gave. Somebody say, he gave. gave. Notice that phrase. The word he refers to Jesus, the ascended Christ, the resurrected and ascended Christ, went to heaven. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip Somebody say equip. The saints, say saints. Saints. Now, I know the Patriots are playing the saints today, but that's not who this is referring to. That's referring to you, okay? The saints, now look at this next line. For the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that's a a mouthful, we'll get to that, so that we may no longer be, if you got your Bibles out, what's the next word? Children. Children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is God's word, let's pray. Father, thank you for this moment to hear you. Thank you for this moment to receive truth, I pray, God, that our eyes are open, our ears are open, our minds are receptive, and our hearts are changed. Guide the words that come out of my mouth and guide the processes by which we hear them and receive them. Help us to grow in Christ and to see him and him only. In his mighty name we pray and everybody said, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a seat. Part two, write this down. What do Christians do? They grow in truth. Write it down. They grow in truth. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you what? Free. Free. There are are freedoms available to you to the extent that you grow in truth. You've got to love the truth, and you've got to love growth. If you're a Christian, you, you love growth. You love development, personal development. We've got a problem in our country. We've got a problem in our culture. We've got a maturity problem. We've got a maturity problem wherein it seems a lot of people want to live as perpetual children. They want to be right, happy, satisfied, and feel good all the time. Say something offensive and they will cancel you, fire you blacklist you, this is childish behavior. We've got an entire generation, and I like to say the Gen Xers, my generation, seemingly perpetual children. Madonna is still playing shows in lace underwear and lingerie, and she's 63 years old. She could be your grandmother. Imagine your grandmother in fishnet stockings and lingerie. Time to put some pants on, Grandma. But we are the Madonna generation. I wanna have fun. I wanna do what I want. I wanna have it my way. That is childish. I read this week that one out of three able-bodied men over the age of 30, one out of three in this country, do not have a job and are not looking for a job one out of three 33 percent of 30 year old men are babies children you need a job you need a functional gift to your life you need a wife to care for and children to feed and protect that's how you grow up But we have a generation of young people who would rather get checks from the government, live in mom's basement, and play Fortnite all day. And this is called childish behavior. While we all complain about rights and fight for our identity, no one seems to be interested in taking responsibility. But you can't have rights without responsibility. And that's our problem right now. A Virginia high school English teacher this week came out and said that making kids behave is white supremacy. This is what happens in public schools. More and more, we are giving kids the the authority to rebel and act disrespectful to adults. We are the generation where the youngest members of the tribe are telling the older members of the tribe what to do. This is called infancy and childish behavior. Imagine that, though. Imagine having a straw man argument where you can blame every problem in society on white supremacy. I was pleased to learn, however, that since not behaving is actually following against or flowing against white supremacy, I was happy to learn that my entire childhood could actually now be categorized as fighting racism. Because I was very naughty. (laughs) This is our generation. I I, I think about what what, what we have in our generation is a a problem where people don't want to grow up anymore. They don't want to take responsibility anymore. They don't want to be adults anymore. And then we have a truth problem. We have a truth problem. Isaiah 59, verse 14. This This is what Isaiah the prophet said. He said, Justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away, for truth has stumbled in the streets. Another translation says, Truth has been cast out into the streets. And uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The Lord saw it, and it displeased him, that there was no justice. You can't have justice without truth. And I've talked about this. There's no such thing as your truth and my truth. There's just the truth. There's just one truth. What God has said is true, and every man is a liar. Looking at the last 20 months of our lives, It's amazing to see how easily people embrace constant lying and misinformation for the sake of political gain and political posturing. These last 20 months have exposed the liars and if you don't see that, you might be falling for the lies. One mass gathering is a COVID problem. Another mass gathering is no problem whatsoever. It just depends on the politics of the gathering. Lollapalooza, a gathering of 385,000 music fans posed no risk of COVID. But if you gather in a football stadium of 65,000 fans, Dr. Fauci says you're not being smart. Do you see how they pick and they choose? Both crowds were massless, One crowd was bigger, one crowd was smaller, but the one that they like is no problem and the one that they despise is a problem. We found out this past summer, last summer, that only certain protests were a problem. Only certain certain riots were a problem. A federal courthouse was burned down in Portland. That's not a problem. But when somebody invades the Capitol building, that's a serious problem. Here's the thing, they are lying to us. Both are evil. Both are childish behavior. And someone needs to say the truth. But this is what our problem is. Truth has been cast out into the streets. During lockdowns, marijuana dispensaries were open, and churches were shut down and taken to court if they weren't following the mandates. I don't know about you, but I've had it up to here with the idea of what this country thinks of as truth. I don't care what they say. I care what God says. And I'm going with his word over any politician's word. Every day. <laughs> I hope I haven't lost some of you. I am taking note of who's not clapping here. (laughs) And in case you're wondering, yes, this is for you. (laughs) We are people who love our version of the truth. I ran across an article this week that I really wanted to be true. I wanted to put up on the screen here. This came from studyfinds.org. And the article read that sugar, fat, and butter might actually prevent heart attack. (laughs) Now that's a news source I can get behind. Have yourself a cookies and cream shake at Chick-fil-A tomorrow, praise Jesus. You are fighting heart disease. So I had a doctor in my church look it up, and it's not true. But the point is, anybody can put a website together and make it look like it's fact and it's actually false. I was listening to this uh, a guy, he's uh, doing, he's a big um, part of the Facebook study. Wall Street Journal has produced this incredible report on the evils of Facebook. You need to pay attention. It's ruining our kids, particularly Instagram. It's ruining our families. It's, it's making us divided. You know that they do this in Facebook, this, this is the report that came out. They find the issue that is the most controversial and they automatically have the algorithm of the computer make sure that that issue or that post is at the top of your feed so that we're always at each other's throat. You know, when, when I was growing up, there was a movie called The Terminator. How many remember that movie, yeah? That's a good movie, I'll be back. I love that movie. It was about Skynet the computers going live, meaning that the computers became autonomous beings and then they started to shoot humans and kill us. Skynet is live, only instead of shooting at us, it's shaping us. It's, it's, it's fracturing us, it's dividing us, it's pulling us apart. Facebook is a big part of this consequently the problem is you are left wondering who can I listen to who can I trust who should who should I pay attention to okay let me just give you um God's record of accomplishment 2,000 years and it's still going strong somebody 2,000 years and it's still growing the church has never been bigger the church has never been stronger the church has never been closer to bring in Jesus, to see in Jesus come back and rule and reign for all eternity. If you want the truth, this is the truth of Jesus right here. The question for you, the question for me is, how do we grow in the truth? What Jesus has done something here in this passage in Ephesians 4 to help us grow in the truth, and I want to talk about that. Point number one, if you're taking notes, here's what you got to write down. Jesus gives gifts to his church. Jesus gives gifts to his church. last, Last week we were talking about all the gifts that you have and now I wanna to talk to you about what the church has over itself as the gifts of the ascended Christ. These are what Jesus thinks you need. Look at verse 11. And he gave, verse 11, he gave the apostles, he gave the prophets, the evangelists, he gave the, shep- another word for shepherds is pastor. So people like me, God has given to you, which means that I am God's gift. You're welcome. (laughs) And teachers. And teachers. Now, here's the thing about gifts. Every year we have an annual celebration where we give gifts, yes? Suppose it's Christmas. What do we do every year at Christmas? We give gifts, right? And I'll give you a gift that you need or want. If I love you, I'm going to give you a gift that you need or want. But you're never going to benefit from that gift unless you do three things. Number one, you got to receive the gift, you got to understand the gift, and then you got to use the gift. In other words, you got to believe that what I'm giving you is good for you. you got to believe that what, I, what I'm giving you is, is what it is, and how do you use it? And then, and then you got to believe that, that, that if you use it, you will benefit from it. So, so here's what I just want you to think about with verse four is that when it, when it says that Jesus gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to the church, here's what he's saying. He's saying, I think you need this, and I want you to understand this, and I want you to use this. Okay, but it's not Christmas, so let's get away from this. Let's get that out of here. I don't want to depress you. A lot of holidays left before Christmas, right? So what are the gifts? Write them down. Apostles, this is one who is sent. One who is sent. Then, number two, prophets. These are those who tell the truth and warn. They are, they are people who instruct you of what's going wrong in the world in your life and and how do you avoid it. And then then there are evangelists. These are people who bring good news. They love to tell others about Jesus. Then there are shepherds or pastors. These are those who care for the sheep. And then there are teachers. These are those who instruct people about the Lord. Now, those are the gifts that Jesus gives to the church. And there is a ton of debate about these gifts, in the church, this is what we're so funny at doing. The church is just so funny. We're ridiculous sometimes. We fight over what is true about what in the Bible instead of just being grateful that God gave us something. So there are people who think, well, the apostles are no more. Those were the people who saw the resurrected Christ and were commissioned by the Holy Spirit to write the New Testament. I, I can agree with that but there are also some people who go to far reaches of the earth with the gospel for the first time, and they establish the church. And you could say that they were sent by the Holy Spirit to establish churches well beyond what the original apostles did because the world is a big place, and there was only 12 in the original apostle group. And so perhaps there are apostles here today or alive today. And then there are prophets. People believe, some people believe that there are no prophets today. Prophets only existed until the scriptures came into fruition. And, and the church didn't have the Bible really in its completion until about 325 AD. And so we had prophets for the first generation of Christians, but then they disappeared. So now, if you do the math, we've already eliminated two out of the five gifts. So now we're down to three gifts, three gifts. And then some people like to say that, you know, the shepherds are really pastors and the pastors are really teachers, so they combine them into one gift, and so now we're down to two gifts. And I think that if we just keep debating the issue about what the gifts are and what the gifts are not for and all that kind of stuff before we know it, we'll have no gifts because this is what we love to do. We love to argue, debate. And I wonder who's here, who's in our location right now. And you're just waiting for me to come down on our prophets and apostles for today or are they not? You're just waiting for me to say what what side I'm on so that you can eliminate our church from your version of right theology. Like we need to grow up about that and just say, thank you Jesus for the gifts you gave me. Like, can we do that? Can we just receive the gifts and be, and be glad that, that God has brought these gifts into the church? But you have to understand that here's the deal. Your, gift will, your gifts shape your, your atmosphere. Your gifts shape your life. And that's what we have to look at when we see these definitions. One who is sent tells the truth and warns, brings good news, cares for the sheep, instructs people about God. I had a funny thing happen to me this week. I had a bug guy at my house and, and he came to get rid of some roaches in our home. And he did, he, does, he did his little detail, and he put the little gels all around the countertops and all around the uh, cabinets and stuff like that. And he went up into the bathroom upstairs, and he came down, and he's got a good view of my house. On the way out of the door, he says, Mr. Hatch, I suppose you to be a Viking. And I've been called a lot of things, but Viking is not one of them. <laughs> but I'm a fan of Thor, so I was like, all right, bring it. What's going on? He said, well, upstairs in your bathroom, I saw that you have this big brass mug. And I do, my wife collects these brass mugs. She goes to flea markets and thrift stores and she gets all these old artifacts. And so she's got these brass mugs all over our house. He said, oh, and I saw in your kids' room, there's a Thor's hammer. I got that for Jake for Christmas last year. Thor's hammer, you Ever anybody have this? It's pretty cool, you can get it. It's about a hundred bucks of wasted money. You can get it for your kids. And then he said, and by the way, you've got a fabulous long beard. I added the fabulous, (laughs) it's my story, I can tell it the way I want. He said, I suppose you to be a Viking. And a thought came to me, I said, you know what? The things that are in your house will give people the impression of who you are. What's in your house? Well, what's in God's house? What has God chosen to put into his house? He's chosen to put an apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher. To to give the church a sense of identity. So summing all up the gifts, instead of arguing about what are for today and what are not for today, here is what they are. They're here to show the world what the church is for. So I want you to write it down. The church is an ever-expanding, truth-telling, good news-spreading refuge to instruct people in knowing God. That's what the church is. The church is not just a social group. It it is not a political faction of American politics. The church is above all of that. The church exists to go to the nations. That's why we send you to Guatemala and soon to Peru. All locations pay attention. We want you to go. One of the best things that you can do is get out of your comfort zone. And parents, listen to me. One of the best things you can do for your 16-year-old is pay for them to go to Peru or Guatemala. Don't pay for college before you pay for that. I'm telling you, it was shape them. We had a young... Uh, there were twin girls that went on a group and and Chris told me this story that all the way down on the plane, there they were, absorbed in their phones, the whole way down, all the way in in the airport, waiting for the flights. Phones, phones, phones. Two days in, phones, phones, phones. And then they got a chance to pick up one of those abandoned babies at the top of the mountain in Guatemala. And they didn't touch their phones for the rest of the trip. I paid for my daughter to go to Guatemala. Changed her life. Before you pay for hockey, before you pay for basketball, before you pay for sports, pay for your church to be part, pay for your kids to be part of what the church is here for, to go to the nations, Because America is this huge bubble of ridiculousness. It's a bubble of selfishness. It's a bubble of me-ism it's a it's a bubble of of infighting and and factions and and we've got to get our kids out of the bubble so that when they come back they'll be a little bit more grateful that they've got food on the table (laughs) truth-telling sometimes the church is here to tell the truth regardless of whether or not you want to hear the truth good news spreading we are a good news church but the news that is good is only good if you understand what the bad news is first. And the bad news is not that you're a bad person. The bad news is, is that apart from Jesus Christ, you're bound for hell. And hell is real and hell is eternal and nobody should go there and nobody has to go there and it wasn't even made for you. It was made for the devil and his angels and God doesn't want you to go there and he doesn't want you to go there so bad that he was willing to send his, his son Jesus to die on a horrible bloody cross to make sure that you don't have to go there and to know that the cross pays for all of your sins, past, present, and future, and so it doesn't matter how bad you were, it doesn't matter how awful you were, that if you come sincerely to faith in Jesus Christ, he washes away all your sins and makes you righteous before the Father so that you can enter right into heaven on the day that you die. That's good news. If there's something else that I learned from the last 20 months of this world is that this, men and women in this world radically fear death. They would rather sit at home and Netflix and chill all day for three straight months than die. My father has stage four cancer and he could only take so much of that. He was in that high risk group two months in. He's like, enough, I'm going outside. Do you know why? Because he knows where he's going. He knows that if the COVID monster or the sun monster or the terrorism monster gets him, he knows that there's a God over his life that's stronger than all those monsters. Whatever monster gets you doesn't have the final say over you. You've got a Savior in heaven who's going to rescue you and bring you into life everlasting. This is the testimony of the church. We are good news people in a bad news world. And Jesus has given you the gifts. Of the church to make sure you stay that kind of organization. Ever expanding, truth telling, good news spreading refuge to instruct people in knowing God. Number two, if you're taking notes, Jesus gives these gifts to build his church. So, pop quiz where's the church? You're the church. I know we're all in buildings today, but you're the church. This is a building. One day this building will be gone. You are not. A building, you are not, you are the church. This church is this building is not the church, and Jesus gives you the apostle, the evangelist, the prophets, the pastors, the teachers to build you up. Look what he says in verse 11 he says, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds to equip, circle equip in your notes to equip the saints. Okay, so saints are not just dead people please understand I'm teaching you the Bible, not church tradition here. Your saints, the word saint is hagios through the Latin. It becomes sanctus. You are the saints. We get saint, saint from sanctus in the Latin. You are the saints, the holy ones of God, made holy by God's amazing grace in Jesus. If you're in Christ, say this after me. Say, I am a saint. You, you are the holy ones of God. And you have apostles prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip you to do the, what's that four-letter word? Work, Work. (laughs) that is a four-letter word today, the work of ministry. Okay, now let me just unpack this for you. It is the pastor's job to equip you, the church, to do the work of ministry. So this means that it is not the pastor's job to do all the work of the ministry. Please understand this, because one pastor can only do all the work for one church up to about 150 people. He can know 150 people, he can minister to 150 people, he can visit everybody in that church in the hospital when it's up to 150 people. After 150 people, it's beyond his ability to do it alone. Now I have been to the hospitals and I have done the marriages and I've done funerals and I've done the sickbed stuff and I've done all that stuff and I still do it to this day. But the health of a church is not measured by how much the pastor does, the health of the church is measured by how much the people do. Because here's the deal, I'm paid to do it. And if you're sick in a hospital and I come and visit you, just know, I've been paid to do it. (laughs) It's not that great, right? And uh, it's much better when your unpaid small group, life group, action group leader comes and sees you. Now I know we're under COVID and you can't do it or anything, but, but last week praying in the parking lot, right? So it's so much more meaningful when money's not in the, ish, in, in the picture there. Your small group leader goes and sees you, your small group member goes and sees you, that's out of love pure, unadulterated, Jesus Christ-inspired love for you. I want that for all of our locations. Some of you get mad when I'm not in the building. Some of you say, oh, I'm disappointed he's not here. Why? My wife prefers me not being there. (laughs) And she knows me better than everybody. There's a lot of people that don't care where I am. They just want the word. Listen, if you're more tied to me being in the building than not being in the building. Are you serving Jesus? Do you love the word or you just love my presence? And listen to me, please don't tell me that you're one of those people that just likes it when I'm here. That freaks me out. The reason why is because I know me. I'm not worth it. I'm just telling you, I'm not that special. I can fake like I'm special for 45 minutes a week. That's what I'm doing right now. In reality, I've got issues and sins and things that I've got to confess I need forgiveness for. I'm gnarly sometimes. I'm ordinary. We were talking about this last night at dinner. We were talking about that this kid is diagnosed with all kinds of, you know, irritability syndromes and and all these kind of mood disorders. You know, doctors put it on kids all the time. He's got this syndrome. He's got that syndrome. He's got this syndrome. I was listening to the list of the syndromes. I'm like, that's me. (laughs) If doctors, if doctors uh, diagnosed uh, my generation the way they diagnosed this generation, oh my gosh, I'd be taking 60 pills a day. The problem that I'm trying to tell you is that I'm not your savior. I'm here to equip you to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. We are all in this. You wanna talk about all in this together? That's what this is. To do the work, work, effort, and then to build the body of Christ up. Now I said circle equip. The word equip actually is a fabulous word. Because it's actually found in Matthew 4.21. When Jesus finds the fishermen at the sea, he finds James and John, Matthew 4.21. And, and he sees that they were with their father Zebedee in the boat. And, and what were they doing in the boat? They were mending their nets. Somebody say mending. Okay, circle mending. Now on your notes, draw a line from equip in Ephesians 4 down to mending in Matthew 4.21. Do you know why? Because it's the same word in Greek. This is a powerful truth. here is what pastors are called to do: they're called to mend you and bring you together. And, And by the way, that's not just me. We have elders in this church. These elders are people that before we make a huge decision, we run it by them. I am not the I am not the dictator. We have elders at Woonsocket. Every one of our pastors, we consider them an elder. We pray for you on a regular basis. We lift you up when your marriage is in serious trouble. We're we're gonna bring you in meet with them. We wanna mend you, we wanna bring you back together again because this world will tear you apart. How do I get back together? Come under the leadership that God has given you so that you're brought together. Now think about this, God wants to bring us together the way that James and John were mending those nets. What's the purpose of a net? To catch the fish. Here's the beautiful picture that the Scripture is painting. The pastors are given to the church to bring the church together so that the church becomes one big net to haul in the fish that God is saving from this evil generation. Isn't that beautiful? That's why we gotta fight for unity. That's why I fight to stay together. That's why we can't let politics divide us. We can't let who we voted for divide us. We can't let COVID divide us. We can't let vaccines divide us. I, you can have your different opinions, but please, for the sake of unity, put everything that is is essential to the back burner so that you can work together side by side in ministry because this world needs people who will rescue them from the fires of hell. That's my heart for the church. So, so he goes on in verse 16, because look what he says. Joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. Pastors are there to bring you together so that you can hold each other together. You're joined together, and then you work together, and you make the body grow as it builds itself up in love. This is the beautiful picture that Jesus has painted for the church. Then, backing up, verse 13. Verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, measure, stature of the fullness of Christ. Four goals for your life. Number one, unity. God wants you, again, stay together. Before we talk about fighting for your marriage, let's talk about staying together. The best best thing that you can do in your life is join yourself to a church and stay there and work there and grow there. What we do is we bring American consumerism into the church. So American consumerism was, you know, I like Levi's today, but, but then tomorrow I'm going to rather like, you know, uh, whatever, Pierre Cardin or whatever. I don't know what the new things are. I, I, I buy my pants at Marshall's. Okay, so whatever is $14.99, that's what I'm putting on my body. Amen. But anyway, we, we'll go consumer, consumer, consumer. We treat the church that way. Oh, well, this church over here has the best youth ministry, so I'm going to go there for my kids. Oh, this church has the best children's ministry. This church has the best young adults ministry. And so we're doing this constant shopping, shopping, shopping. Can I ask you a question? are you a contributor or are you a consumer it's okay to say ouch <laughs> oh this church really isn't for me they don't sing the songs that I want they don't have the ministries that I need they don't know have... what's well, not about you and maybe the ministry that you think we need is the ministry that God has given you to do oh that was better than you just said amen for <laughs> I always like to say your your misery is your ministry Your misery is, what what am I talking about? Whatever you think is hurting people, whatever you think is, is awful for people, whatever you wish you didn't have to go through, guess what that is? That's your ministry to make sure that others don't go through it and get hurt the way you went through it and got hurt. So, so rather than, than being the shopper with your Christian, your Christian carriage walking through the halls of American Christianity searching for whatever church will meet your needs in the moment, why not rather put the shopping cart away and pick up the apron and get behind the counter and say, how can I help you? How can I serve you? Number two, knowledge of Jesus is another growth, that we grow in our knowledge of Jesus. Again, not our knowledge of the pastor, not our knowledge of the leaders, but in our knowledge of Jesus. It is my job to be invisible and point you to Jesus. Number three, maturity. You know what a maturity is? Maturity is when you can be responsible for other people. That's what maturity is. When you're no longer worried about only yourself, but you're worried about someone else. So we talked about this last week and I wanna bear in a little bit more. Who are you praying for other than you? Who are you bringing to God in the throne of God other than you? Let me ask this question. Who are you praying for to come to Jesus Christ right now? There's probably someone that you're talking to at work and and they're going through something or they've just gone through a divorce or they've just gone through a serious financial issue. You know, that's not just for you to say, oh, I feel bad for you. That's for you to say, you know what? Let me pray for you. I, I found that even atheists won't mind you praying for them. Because they're like, yeah, sure, crap, shoot, go ahead, do it, see, we'll see what happens. But the, 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 this is the thing, when, 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 when all hell breaks loose, they'll remember there was a friend that was willing to pray for them. See, this is what we are. that's maturity. And then the stature of Christ, growing up. Um, the scripture says about Jesus that he grew up in wisdom and in stature, in favor with God and man. Same thing it says about Samuel. He grew up in wisdom and stature, favor with God. Stature, you know what stature is? Stature is the ability to stand when everybody else is falling. Stature is the ability to stand stronger and stronger as you grow older and older. And and I thought about this picture of, of, of being no longer children, which he's going to get to. But, but you think about it, what, what is a child? At the end of the day, what is a child other than a brand new hu- human being? Here's what a child is. A child is vulnerable. When you're first born, you are vulnerable to what? Everything. My, one of my earliest memories of raising children, my firstborn daughter, Olivia, she was like two weeks old and And she wouldn't sleep in her crib or bassinet. She would only sleep in the car seat. So, you know, when you're a new parent, you do whatever it takes to get yourself some sleep. So we brought the car seat into the bedroom, and uh, we would put it on opposite sides of the bed because we bottle fed her. And so one night was Cheryl's night, one night was my night. I always hated that arrangement. But anyway, (laughs) one night it was my night, so she's next to me on the bed, and then she starts, you know, crying for for feeding, and I I get out of bed, and and I lifted up the handle for the, the baby seat, but it hadn't clicked in. And yeah, you know, parents know exactly what happened. The thing literally flipped over, and her head just went bam, onto the hardwood floors of our bedroom. I fell to the floor like, oh, my God, she's going to be mentally disabled. Oh, my Lord, it's all my fault. I got to I flipped out. Thank God. Cheryl was like, would you relax? She's made of rubber at this age. She got up. She fed her. It was no problem. I realized that that was a way that I could avoid feedings from that going forward. <laughs> Just drop her on the floor, Cheryl. I did it again. I'm sorry. You're going to have to do it. <sighs> she was vulnerable. When you're a baby in Christ, can I tell you this, some of you are new to the faith, you are vulnerable. You don't realize you are, but you are. And you are vulnerable to the lies and the deception of the enemy. And you have to watch out because the scripture says that he disguises himself as an angel of light. He will appear on television as a smooth-talking preacher salesman. He will only give you half of the scriptural truth. He will only tell you all the good things, never the bad things. It won't address sin. Won't address righteousness. You got to be careful about the books that you read. You you you'll notice that I rarely, if ever, mention a false teacher by name in the church on Sunday, and they're all they're all over the place. And the reason why I don't mention them is because I don't even want to give you their names so you don't Google them. It's they're that dangerous to you. And, and so what happens is, as you grow in Christ, you get a little bit less vulnerable. And I think about it, babies are vulnerable to everything, but children are vulnerable to what? Like toddlers and, and children, what are they vulnerable to? They're vulnerable to their own stupid actions. They're vulnerable to the things that are endangering them, and they don't even realize it. Well, as you grow up in Christ, you could be doing some things that are, that are dangerous to you. And you need elders, you need pastors to come in and say, Look, that's not appropriate for you. Then you grow into teenagehood. What are you vulnerable to? What are teenagers most vulnerable to? You know what they are? Because I remember because I was a teenager. They're vulnerable to peer pressure, they're vulnerable to what their friends think. And so they follow what their friends think. And, and, and let me just tell you if, if you're a Christian and, and you, can, you can say amen to me on Sunday, but then, but then like, you kind of like get away from all of that stuff on Monday through Saturday, you're a spiritual teenager. You're just following the crowd. You're following what the world says. You're vulnerable to people's opinions. And then then when you grow up, you get stronger. So the point that I'm trying to get to is at some point in your life, you get strong enough that you've been there, done that, and you know the truth, and the truth is solid inside of you. And no one can pull you away from Christ. This is my prayer for every single one of you that you are strong in Jesus. How? Pastors, teachers, evangelists, prophets, apostles. People who will challenge you, who will speak life into you, and care for you. Okay, point number three. Jesus gives gives gifts to grow his church in firm conviction of the truth. That's my job. My job is to bring you to the truth, grow you in your conviction of it. So, So here's what he says in verse 14 that we may no longer be children. Implication, we are children, spiritual children, tossed to and fro, but carried away by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. So when we talk about not being vulnerable anymore, letter A in your notes is this, this is the effect of growth. Get yourself in a church, root yourself in the church, go to the church, grow in the church. Okay, letter A, unsusceptible to false doctrines and false teachers. You can smell it, there's nothing, something's not right about that, something's not right about that book, something's not right about that guy, something's not right about that that TV personality, something's not right about what they're saying from the the government. You can smell it. You're unsusceptible, you're strong. Because you know the truth. Heard an old preacher illustration, the way they prepare federal agents to identify counterfeits is not by studying counterfeit dollars, but by studying real ones. You can tell the fake when you know the real. How important this is for our singles to understand real love as opposed to this fake surfacey, skin deep love, where it's all about how you look with your particular filter on Instagram. That's not love, that's lust. And every, anybody, and we're in an age where everybody can curate themselves perfectly to appear way more attractive than they really are. <laughs> and so we've got like the surface level of love with our young people. Then we wonder why they, they jump in and out of relationships because what they bought on the screen isn't a reality in person. And this is the truth of our world. We've got to sniff out the fakes. I mean you young people need to write this in your notes on the margins. Young people, single people, write this down. Never ever date a non-believer. Don't even date them. Don't even look at them. Hiss at them when you see them. (laughs) (laughs) We say something to the daughters of Waters Church, to all of our precious daughters. We love you. And we care for your spiritual well-being. And nothing, nothing in this world ticks me off more than when a pagan dude comes for you. He's a pagan. And you know why he's attracted to you? Because your Christian faith makes you attractive to him. Do you know why? Because that loser's been out with the fellow pagans and he's seen how awful those girls are. And he comes and he sees you. You're honest. You're upright. You're caring, and he wants the benefits of Christ in you without submitting to the Christ who is over you. You are worth way more. Nothing kicks me off more than seeing that, because these guys they don't want Jesus, but they want His fruit. How dare they! That's why God gives you pastors who will say the truth, who will fight for you, elders who will fight for you. And the worst thing you can do is get offended. Worst thing you can do. We offend people all the time at Water Church. I got news for you. It is my job to offend you. Here's what Paul says to Timothy. Look what he says in 2 Timothy 4.3. The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. Okay, let me rephrase that text. The time is here when people, he's talking about in the church, when people in the church will no longer endure sound teaching. But they'll have itching ears and they will accumulate for themselves podcasts and YouTube personalities and TV preachers who will tell them things that suit their own passions and will turn them away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. There's a, there's a preacher going around the country right now and, and she's a self-appointed prophetess. She used to be in the biblical church. Now she's outside of the church. She goes around the country preaching in all these churches with F-bombs and F-bombs and S-bombs from the pulpit and she talks about the divinity within, the divinity within, the divinity. I mean, you gotta watch out for this nonsense. There's no divinity in you naturally. There's only the Holy Spirit that comes and inhabits your body by grace through Jesus Christ. Paul said there's nothing good in me and there's nothing good in you and there's nothing good in me. The only thing that I got going for me is God's Holy Spirit that has taken up residence inside of me. That's not my divinity. That's his person. Let me just have you write this down about truth. Truth is what we need to hear but we might not want to hear. Pastor, my sister was offended by what you said. Good. Was it truth? Well, yeah, it was truth, but you said it kind of, you know, I don't know, it's okay. If I go to the doctor and I've got a scratch and cancer, and the doctor only wants to deal with the scratch, you know what we call that doctor? A terrible doctor. A real doctor will deal with the real problem, even if it's hard to hear. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians, we destroy, circle destroy, because that's, that's kind of like an offensive word. That's kind of like an aggressive, we destroy arguments and lofty opinions raised against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. And then it gets even more aggressive, being ready to punish every disobedience when, you're, when your obedience is complete. Like we're, we're in the business of making sure that we are annihilating the things of this world that are destructive to your soul. Second effect of growth, so we can close this out, accepting, appreciating, and adjusting my life to the truth. You know when you're growing in Christ? When you can accept what's being said instead of find fault with it. When you can receive it instead of thinking you've got an argument against it. When, when, When you can stop doing the arms folded thing like like you know everything and who is this guy up there telling you things that aren't that aren't good with what your culture says who how dare I don't agree with anything he's there are some people sitting here all over look at us I don't under, I don't agree with that who made you god I'm not telling you what I believe I'm telling you what the book says I didn't say he said it and I'm not you know you're not accountable to me you're not going to be judged according to me I'm not going to judge you the Lord Jesus is your judge. That's who you're accountable to, like it or not. Like, and here's the deal. <laughs> the mortality rate of our world is at 100% and still going strong. You're going to die. Like this, is, this is not, you can't trifle with this. You can't play with this. This is not something you joke, joke around about. When you die, you're going to face the judge. And it's not going to be me. Thank God. You're going to face the perfect judge. And let me tell you something. That judge is going to have holes in his hands. He's going to have holes in his feet. And he's going to say, here's what I did for you. I did this so that you could come in here. And the question is not going to be, how good were you? Did you go to Sunday school? Did you say your prayers? The question is going to be, did you trust in the holes? Did you trust in the feet that were nailed to the cross for you? That's what I'm doing right now. last, Last verse is speaking the truth in love. Telling you the truth in love. God loves you enough to tell you the truth so that you grow up and get stronger. Sermon in a sentence. A godly church confronts me with truth so that I can fit into the body and become part of his movement to bring others to Jesus. What do Christians do? Here's what Christians do. They grow in their love and knowledge of the truth. A good church will offend you. A good church will challenge you. A good church will call you to give and not just sit there and take. A good church will challenge you to put God first financially. Put God first emotionally. Put God first in your, in your time, in your weekly life. Get your kids into our children's program. Hey, get your young people into our Elevate programs. In Florida, we're gonna be starting it in October. Can't wait. They're gonna start a youth program very shortly for you guys. Get your kids into the gospel. And when they are old, they won't depart from it.